Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron, and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, makers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. We're busted. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. It sure is time. Sure is time for another episode of Rebels Declassified. We've got a double header once again for you. We'll be covering the last two episodes of Star Wars Rebels here, Season 3, Episodes 18 and 19, Secret Cargo which featured a very memorable appearance by Mon Mothma and Double Agent Droid, which featured a not-quite-so-memorable appearance by Wedge Antilles. It was more like a slice of Wedge. Maybe we'll call him Slice Antilles. It wasn't a full a wedge. wedge. Of wedge. <laughs> a wedge of Wedge. <laughs> it was a Wedge of Wedge. But we'll break it all down for you and uh, chat all about it here on... Rebel Force Radio's Rebels Declassified, and I'm very happy to have uh, two great folks to banter about for the next hour with you, or with me, with all of us, starting with my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars Rebels fans. Uh, Okay, double shot this week, so uh, we're we're trying to stay on target and uh, deliver you guys these reviews in a timely fashion, so... uh, Hopefully, for the rest of the season, we'll be able to dedicate episodes specifically to just one episode, but uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. But uh, I'm just happy that we have the time to sit down, talk about Rebels, and uh, talk about the return of Mon Mothma. So, uh, looking forward to getting into the discussion with you and our big honking special guest. That's right. So, we also have, as Jimmy alluded to, our good pal. And the Lord and Emperor of the Geek Out Loud universe, <laughs> Steve Glosson. Oh, gentlemen, the three men with the best live chemistry we of any show ever. Oh, yes, that's a bold Who? statement. That's a bold I statement. Re- I refer you to Orlando, circa 2016, Junish. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I can still, still see your Panama hat. Yes, sir. Still riding high on that situation. <laughs> the best chemistry since the Three Stooges. 
All right, let's talk about it here. Uh, we've got. <laughs> I was gonna talk about the tail of the tape, and then uh, my my computer froze up here. Hold on a second. I'll get it for you in just a second. <sighs> talk amongst yourselves. But I know some people like to get the breakdown of all of the uh, you know the the, the, the creative crew, etc. That work on these episodes so yes we're going to start out talking about secret cargo this is episode 18 of season three uh, original debut on march 4th 2017 writer matt mcnovitz and uh featured genevieve o'reilly as mon mothma although the uh, crew of the ghost didn't realize that when they were uh, brought on this mission to escort some very very top secret cargo they didn't realize that it was Mon Mothma. And um, what we see at the beginning, uh, Steve, is this speech that Mon Mothma is giving, I believe, to the Senate. Um, I don't think they show her in a pod. She's not in one of those Senate pods, is she? Hard to tell. Well, no. this. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to yeah. tell where she's at. It's just her. It's yeah, a tight shot. It's, I wouldn't imagine that she's making a public appearance in that that um, hologram message, I think that was probably, you know, shot in a safe place, a bunker somewhere, somewhere hidden. Because she, oh, that's true, because they would have arrested her immediately. Immediately, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point, good point. So we can probably assume that you're right, that she's making this statement from a secure location, but it was a public message. Yes. Where she was calling, she was calling the emperor out. She called him a lying executioner. Um was citing the the tyranny and this was her outing this was the first time that she made this this statement and from what we can gather uh steve this was the this was the call to arms right indeed indeed i find it interesting that mon mothma is the one who stepped up and stepped out like in doing this she knew that she would be targeted um for imprisonment at the very least execution you know most likely uh for speaking out against the emperor and and i find it interesting that she's the one who chose to step away from all that to go from to fight from the outside in uh where someone like bell organa stays on the inside Mm -hmm. and you know as as long as the senate is there before alderaan blows up of course um yeah but he stays on the inside to fight that battle from the senate floor and kind of secretly um and you know, uh, Mon Mothma is this character that, and Jason, I don't know, you and I being the same age <clears throat> and kind of seeing these things in the same way. Now, I, I'd seen Star Wars before I ever saw uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, it was it was a birthday thing. We rented it, and my mom had to put some ungodly amount of money down for it and that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Um, and, uh, and, and knowing Empire going into Return of the Jedi... There was something about the appearance of Mon Mothman, the way that that character carried herself, that you're like, yeah, this is it. She is the woman. And and I don't know that it was ever communicated to me as a child because I didn't read a novelization or anything. Um, you know, I had a storybook and I had a book on tape and, and then I had the toys. But when I saw this woman on screen, I'm like, she's the real deal. This is the woman who's behind it all. It never and, – and what's interesting is – is I find that people are surprised that this is now being confirmed or, you know, that this episode kind of confirms that because I'm like, okay, this is the backstory to something that I've known for years. It feels like, yeah, uh, that's, in that? yeah no, I don't think so at all. I, I think that, um, it was probably, I don't know if I'm, if I'm with you as far as it, it being cemented to me 
as a child watching Return of the Jedi that she was she was really the the tippy top of the of the sphere of of power in the rebellion. I think that that probably hit me more to, in the in the prequel era when we started hearing about her showing up in episode three. I think that's when her importance started to uh, cement itself. I mean, I knew she was important, and I and I'm with you that. There was always something about her, you know, the red hair in contrast with the with the white robes, um, the very serious nature. I mean, she really kind of brings it down. Yeah. In that room, in that briefing room, (laughs) talking about the sacrifice of the Bothans, Um, you know, Akbar, you know, he's got to follow that act. Um, But I'll tell you what, like Steve, I immediately understood the magnitude of the personality and the position she had in the rebellion when she showed up on screen in Return of the Jedi. I knew right away there's a regal quality about her. Yeah, and, and, and when she appears on the scene, the room, there's an immediate hush in the room. Everyone knows whatever she's going to say is going to be very important. So I felt that just from that brief exposure we had to her, in uh, Return of the Jedi. And then, of course, the expanded universe over the years definitely filled in mm-hmm. a lot of the blanks. So I come into Rebels and Rogue One with already a preconceived notion about who she is, what sort of power she has, and what her importance is to the Rebellion. What I love about this episode of Rebels, Secret Cargo, is you see that she is single-handedly the fire starter of the Rebellion here. She is the one who stands up puts out a public notice and says, I am leading the charge. Come stand with me. And so that's how the rebellion begins specifically. Yes. Yes. We are. We are seeing the unification of the rebel cells here, but it does sound like some of this was pre uh, orchestrated. Okay. That, that, that was that when, when the time came, she was going to out herself. And that was the cue for everybody to rendezvous for this meeting. Do you think but she and Bail also, Organa? Do you think she and Bail Organa argued about who is going to be the public face of the rebellion? That was that was my question. Is if you flip it, does she stay on the inside and do what Bail did? And Bail becomes is he just as would he be just as effective as she in this role? And I, well, would, no, I. Well, I, I can answer that. I think pretty decisively is that the fact that he's raising Leia, the right. last thing he needs is any more attention. If they right. came and and started digging around, they might have put two and two together. Um, I, and, it, and when you think about that, guys, it seems like that you know putting Leia with him. I guess that you know you kind of put you hide something right in plain sight. I mean that I guess that's kind of what they did. As far as Leia is concerned, they did hide her sort of in, in, in plain sight because this is a guy who has a certain stature within the government, later the, the uh, empire, and here's this child, this adopted child that he's parading around that is the, the daughter of the right hand of the emperor and, and, and something that the emperor feared, the, the whole idea of the children is something the emperor feared, but Without getting, you know, going down that 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 trail too much, I I, I don't know. I think that um, it was probably uh, better that it be Mothma 
than Organa for that reason. And maybe, maybe a host of other reasons. I don't know. But I do love the continuity with Genevieve O'Reilly from episode three into um, uh, into Clone Wars as well. Did We saw her in Clone Wars, didn't we? Yeah. I don't remember seeing her in Clone Wars. Mon Mothma? Yeah. yeah. Yes, she was in Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, I, oh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> See, uh, I, there weren't like any episodes really focused on her, but she did show up in the Senate. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, they, but they yes, didn't really dig yeah. deep. They were more character. like cameos. I don't, I don't. I love that there's continuity with the character and Genevieve O'Reilly's portrayal. It, it, it's really, uh, it, it's really neat to watch that, and certainly lends a certain uh, credibility. You know, it's always, you know, I don't know what it is. It's just something uh, uh, impactful when it's someone from the big screen, you know, doing the doing the work on the small screen. Um, but what's what's interesting to me in this episode is the way that the gang from Rebels, the Ghost Crew, immediately they have a conflict with Gold Squadron. Um, and I guess, I don't know, what do you, Jim, what do you think is really the, the line that, that, was, that was crossed there? Because, you know, the probe droid shows up. They've got to get rid of it. Uh, they can't have the probe droid snooping around as they're making this exchange with this cargo, which they didn't know, you know, in their defense that it, they, were, they were dealing with Mon Mothma here. They, they had no idea what it, it was. Um, but what could they have done, and why was Gold Squadron so quick to, to criticize uh, our rebel friends? Well, when you look at the crew of the Ghosts, they're not... Uh, sometimes they're a little... Uh, they jump the gun a lot of times. Uh, they seem rather ragtag when you compare them to the strict military upbringing of the pilots of Gold Squadron. It seems like Gold Squadron's more part of the machine, whereas the crew of the Ghost are still acting like vigilantes. And so that's just too reckless. It's, it, it, it exposes the missions that Gold Squadron goes on. But uh, Ezra brought up a, a valuable point. He claims that Gold Squadron isn't giving them the information they need about these missions. Gold Squadron yeah. is kind of working in the dark a little bit and withholding information from the Rebel crew. So, you know, it's uh, the two sides. What do you think the, the reason story. of that? What do you think the reason of that? Because, is? I like mean, I said, they're, they're ragtag. There's hierarchy here. Yeah, they're, but, they're, but, but, it may be prejudice. What separates Gold Squadron? You know, like what makes what elevates them to sort of this level of you know, there's there's some. You know, there's there's something they're more important or are, are, are they just pilots at a different level? I mean, like, what are they what are they doing when they're not on this mission? What are they doing? We know what the ghost crews out there doing. Do we assume that these other um, rebel cells like Gold Squadron are also out there doing uh, recon missions and all kinds of things? What are they doing that gives them this? It just seems like they're part of a larger military, and they have more of that military discipline. Perhaps a lot of those pilots actually defected from the Empire, like Wedge and Hobby. And they have a certain level of um, just... They, they, they have a stricter order that they follow, as opposed to the crew of the Ghost, who sometimes go off on these half-thought-out 
you know, spur of the moment missions to go save a piece right. of artwork from Hera's homeworld or something like that. So, I mean, these kind of things <laughs> maybe have kind of stained the reputation of Phoenix Squadron or more specifically the crew of the Ghost. And they've become known as this wild card, this loose cannon group of rebels that risk too much sometimes. And when they risk too much, there is the chance of exposing the greater rebellion on a whole. And that's probably why Gold Squadron is uh, a little pissed off at the uh, crew of the Ghost. Well, the key line there is, is when is when they talk about destroying Tarkin's Star Destroyer, and Zeb's like, yeah, that was all us. Yeah, uh, he's, that's right. And he's, he's kind of right. laughing. She's like, well, you've made things more difficult for every one of us. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, Zeb says, well, maybe we like doing things the hard way. Um, and, and I think that their problem, I agree with you, Jimmy, they, they seem to have much more of a military background than the crew of the ghost. I also got the sense that maybe they actually come from Mon Mothma's personal security detail and that sort of thing where, Mm. you know, they come with her. Um, and, and so there's, so there's that type of background, but also just the whole idea of these are the, this is the reason that I can't, you know run a blockade the way I used to. These these guys are the reason that they've tightened up security over here, tightened up this over there. Uh, there's some there's some built-in frustration right from the beginning. Yeah, and maybe they yeah, feel maybe- like in a case where Zeb is proud about destroying Tarkin's Star Destroyer, that might be a case of where Gold Squadron is looking at it like, yeah, man, you won the battle, but you're, by by doing something so big and bold might make them lose the war. So sure, you know it's great to win the big battles, but if if it is something that that can also put you out there and make you vulnerable, then it will contribute to you possibly losing the war. So I think Gold Squadron sees things on a much bigger picture than the re- the crew of the Ghost does, for that matter. And as far as Gold Squadron goes, it's great to see. Uh, once again, he was in Rogue One, and here he's back. And that's uh, Gold Leader Dutch Vander, aka Rosie LaRose from Strange Brew, Bob and Doug McKenzie film. <laughs> Not voiced by Angus McGinnis, though. Um, they had a different voice actor. Uh, I would have loved to have heard his voice because it is a distinct voice. This is Gold Leader. We are starting our attack run. Yeah, I would have loved to hear that voice in Rebels. Um, Angus will be at Star Wars Celebration. And uh, Rosie LaRose, you know. I mean, I got to get his autograph uh, next month in Orlando. But cool to see, again, an original trilogy character um, showing up on Rebels. Well, isn't it Dutch Vander in Star Wars that after Dodonna, when he's starting his briefing, he says... Uh, pardon me, sir, but what good are snub fighters going to do against that? Yes. yes. Isn't he the one that questions that? So, I mean, you, you've got from that little statement, you've got a, you've got a squadron that looks at stuff with, with speculative eyes. Um, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily or skeptical. I should say, eyes. they're not going to just rush in headlong to everything. And, you know, I mean, and from the little bit of information we get about him just in Star Wars, we see that, that he's kind of like, I don't know if this is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so when you've got them coming headlong into this Phoenix squadron, yeah, there's going to be going to be some sparks flying. But it's also we can get a nice little pat on the back for Ezra at the end. That Top Gun moment. You can be my wingman anytime. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the, um, you know, it, it's Amon Mothma has the guy that is, uh, I guess they're they're calling her him her attache. This is the guy that's you know following around. And he seems a little wormy. I mean, he's definitely looking out for her uh, more than anything. But what's surprising is that he kind of is under the impression that you know she's going to throw up this flag and then go into hiding. But it's her intention to be there when all of the rebel cells finally come together and under this alliance. Uh, why, Steve, why do you think it's so important that she be there? She isn't she kind of because she's such a target. Wouldn't she be putting this, uh, this meeting and everybody else there at, at risk? Yeah, but look at how the, the ghost crew watched her speech. I mean, they were in awe. they were, they were blown away by this woman. she, she carries a certain amount of weight, and her being there, I, I don't know, there has to be some recognition of your own importance sometimes that, you know, that's not necessarily arrogance or, 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 or cockiness, but just an understanding of this is my responsibility to be here. And I think that her responsibility of being there outweighed the risks of her being there, that everyone needed to see that she was willing to step into, at that moment, what was the front line. Um and and be willing to to show up when she was asking everyone else to show up. I, I think that's what it is. I think that they took all the precautions to make sure that the Empire couldn't find them, and that's what the whole, you know, Star Trek two through the Nebula chase was. And um, and, and I, I was half expecting uh, Thrawn to say, "He tasks me. <laughs> <laughs> she tasks me. I will chase her around." Okay. <laughs> yes. Through the nebula. But, yeah, so that's what that was all about. the nebula field. Hold tight. Um, <laughs> so I think, I just think that they knew that they were fairly safe and could do that. And I think that she just had that responsibility. If you've ever been in a position of leadership, and Jason, I know you and Jim both have been in places where never. you never. Well, some I'm of us have born been a follower. Okay. Well, some of us have been in situations where it's like we recognize the responsibility, though we yeah. don't have to be there. We recognize it's going to be more of a morale boost. It's going to be something that is going to push things along in a better way. If I'm actually there, um, you know, even if I don't say anything, as long as I'm present, it means something for sure. For sure. I, I think that for me, it would just, it seemed like somewhat of a tactical error because she knew that she was such a, a hot item, you know, for the empire to track, to find, to trace. She had probably every available, uh, agent trying to find her, including Grand Admiral Thrawn, and uh, yet she was going to be sort of the, the centerpiece of this uh, big meeting, the meeting, as they were saying, where they finally all got together. Um, the, uh, the meeting itself, uh, what do you think changes, I mean, or does this change, uh, Jim, the series from this point on? Do you see do you see it going back to business as usual with, you know, episodes that aren't involving the, um, you know, the, the, the alliance? Or do you think that we've taken our step into the larger world? I would like to see the show start to address some of the bigger issues going on in the, the conflict between the Galactic Empire and the Rebellion. Um, and what, what I mean is... I don't want to see the smaller battles. I want to see some big ones that really have an impact 
on uh, the overall story. Now, I know that, according to the crawler for... There, I said crawler. The crawl for uh, <laughs> A New Hope, it says the rebels have won their first battle. Or no, the w- rebels had their first victory against the evil Galactic right. Empire. So and we, that's Rogue One. Right. So I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing some losses being dealt to the rebels, big losses by the Empire, on kind of a grand scale. I'd like to see Darth Vader return. I'd like to see the Emperor. I'd like to know what's going on with him, how, what his reaction is to the growing rebellion. These are the bigger picture things I would like to see this series start to go after. Now, as far as the crew of the Ghost and their exposure and their place in what's now becoming a larger organization, I always predicted that this show would start small and just keep snowballing like the Rebellion itself. And it would just keep growing and growing. And what is business as usual, for the crew of the Ghost these days. Uh, Kanan, nowhere to be found. Sabine, off uh, in the Mandalore system. Uh, we have uh, new crew members coming along all the time, like AP5, like Captain Rex, uh, and uh, now Mon Mothma and her crew. It's uh, it Wedge. You know, it seems like all these little pieces are starting to come into the, the universe of the ghosts, you know, into their world. And, and uh, they're starting to become part of the team, uh, the specific ghost team. So they've come a long way since Lothal, let's just say. Um, and and I, I anticipate that it'll just keep on snowballing as it has thus far. And now we see at the end of this episode, the fleet all comes together. That's the first time. You have the the foundation for the re- rebel fleet, and it, we just see it happen right then and there. And this is a lot of the fleet yeah. that we'll end up seeing in Rogue One. So yeah. uh, I like where it's going, and uh, business as usual for the Ghost. You know, I just see a lot of different. It's like there's a revolving door on the Ghost now, and different personalities and 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 notable members of the rebellion are just going to keep passing through it i hope as we roll into season four there's a lot of characters still left to be mined from the original trilogy and the prequels for that matter that you can drop into this era and uh, i'd like to see that a little more so and i, I again i want to return to kanan in his story i'm so disappointed yeah. now i'm really speaking in broad strokes but as long as i'm on a roll i'm so disappointed that they dropped the conflict that Ezra was experiencing with a pull to the dark side. I am so disappointed that they just let that slide away. I thought that would develop some great conflict between Ezra and Kanan, possibly leading toward a showdown between those two, Master and Apprentice. Mm. You know, and they just let it... That is so compelling. And that's a storyline that unfortunately has slipped through the cracks. Um, I, the only reason I bring it up is because I was having a conversation with my brother about this last night. And he agrees. There are so many different cool directions this series could have gone in within Ezra really feeling the pull to the dark side. And as they were going down that, that path, I was getting so excited by the possibilities. And it's now, it's, it's appearing like it's lost potential. Do you guys see any signs any indication that Ezra will once again feel that lure to the dark side 
I don't. Well, I'm just, you know, I have to put myself in the shoes of somebody like Dave Filoni, right? He, he, hearing this, and you're not alone in what you're saying, Jim, and I've, you know, vacillated back and forth feeling that way and not feeling that way because when the show started, a lot of us said, well, it's it's so small. Uh, we we, we want to see how these characters, um, how they connect to the big characters and the big moments of the series. And here's an episode. And by the time they get to these episodes where we're seeing that connection, this one probably being one of the most um, kind of, uh, you know, it's sort of the epitome of that, I guess. Now we're saying, yeah, but what about that plot with Ezra and Kanan? I mean, you can kind of see how they might be scratching their heads. I don't know, Steve, what do you think? And where'd that Bindu go? Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a a situation where I felt like they wrapped that up too simply. And I take everything that's spoken, particularly in the original trilogy, as gospel. So that when I see on the opening crawler, um, crawl, whatever. Um, <laughs> when when I see that it's the it's the re- rebellion's first victory against the Galactic Empire, then I recognize it's their first victory the, the, as the Rebel Alliance, and and I have to, and I and and I feel like everything they do has to make sure that what we saw in Rogue One is the first legitimate victory the Rebel Alliance has had against the Empire. In the same way. When Yoda says, once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. I have to take that as gospel, especially from the Yoda of Empire Strikes Back. This is not a Yoda operating under the the codes and the guidelines of the old Jedi code of the old Republic. This is Yoda who has spent 30 plus years now on Dagobah, uh, communing with the Force, communing with dead Obi-Wan, possibly communing with Qui-Gon, and really understanding the deal. And so when Yoda says, once you go down the dark side, forever will it dominate your destiny, I have to believe that Ezra still has some stuff to deal with and work out as it pertains to his dabble with the dark side. Um, and So you don't think we're done? I, well, I, I, I would hope we're not, just because of the mm. way I take it. But at the same time, you know, it does seem like they completely abandoned it. It seems like they wrapped everything up with an apology and I forgive you in the spider cave. Um, you know, and, and that seems like it did everything in it, but I still feel like that you can't, you can't toy with the dark side and not have it affect you somehow. And maybe the ramifications of that are what we're going to see on the next episode on Tatooine. Maybe that's the, the whole end game of that situation. So, well, um, we also got to see General Tadana. I think that was a first for him in Rebels. Uh, he was sort of in the background there. Uh, didn't I don't think he had any lines. We're bound to determine to shove Tadana off to the side, aren't we? I mean, yeah, we, we really... here's this guy that he like lays out the plan for all the pilots on Yavin 4 in Star Wars, and we're just like, well, there's Mon Mothma, there's Bell Organa. Oh, that guy <laughs> there, that's General Dodonna. Uh, you know, I think you guys are just kind of overplaying Dodonna's importance. The only oh reason God. he gave that, that presentation at, uh, at Yavin Base... When he, you know, deciphered the Death Star plans, he was the only one who had the remote for the VCR. <laughs> you sound like Eris Chernovice. Eris Chernovice <laughs> has been busting my chops about, you know, supporting Dodonna for the longest time. And I'm just, I feel like that he is, you know, he's as important as General Riken was for Hoth. Like, if we started getting into ESB territory, 
And there was, and Riken was just getting blown off like he was no biggie. Oh, Riken right. couldn't carry the Donna's beard. You know what? Yeah. Well, yeah. well wait yeah. a second. I don't know about yeah. that because when you think about it, Dodonna really only just gave the pilots their briefing and then he stands oh, he around. He only was the commander for the uh, destruction of the Death Star, the first Death Star. I mean, anybody can, can, can just replicate that. And say, Let, now let's fly inside, guys. I don't right. know. I, I, I don't know because you never actually see him giving any commands or anything. You see Riken, he's definitely managing that war room there on the Hoth base. People are coming up. They're giving him reports. He's telling them what to do. He's sending people out on this mission and that mission. Well, you see how that worked out for him. I mean, they just came in and they crushed that base. They did get some transports away. Yeah. Yay! Yay! Yippee! <laughs> Well, you know, they only had one eye on cannon, so... Meanwhile, meanwhile, Crix Maydean is sitting up in space like, just wait till they get to me. Yeah. <laughs> He's there, emptying can after can of hairspray, just... Yeah. <laughs> staring in the mirror. I gotta look good for F6. <laughs> they do have quite the revolving door of uh, commanders. I, I We know that... that uh, they all. I mean, they, they all survive. I don't think we ever saw or were confirmed that. Um, well, we know Dodonna survives. I don't know about Raiken. No, yeah, I don't know. No. You have no to one. assume that Raiken. I. You, you don't think know. he went down with the base? Yeah, he wouldn't have gone out on that transport. Yeah, but then did you notice? Here's something that always kind of drove me a little crazy about the Battle of Hoth. All right. The Empire completely overthrows that base. Darth Vader's marching around the hallways with snowtroopers. The Falcon barely escapes. But then, as the Falcon is leaving the system, you see it fly by a bunch of rebel pilots and stuff. And they're just out there taking their leisurely time, loading up their ships. They don't seem to be rushed at all. Wedge is like, yeah, see you at the rendezvous point, Luke! (laughs) It's like they're, you know, making plans for a Sunday brunch. And, the, you know, the, there's a transport just sitting there and people are like, you know, stretching out before they get on board. And they're asking the stewardess what the movie is and everything. It's, it seems very casual out there. Do you it think- is very casual. And they're not that far from the battle, right? General Veers is all of a sudden like, wait a second. I didn't notice that uh, snowdrift. What's on the other side of that thing? Do you think? <laughs> should, we, should we take a look at that over there? Nah. Nah. No, they've gotten away. You know, like he <laughs> contacts Lord Vader's like, forget it, General. But <laughs> They're yeah, too far. Next time next time you watch Empire, take note of that scene outside of the yeah. Echo Base. Always, it's very casual. That's one of those things that's one of those things I've always noticed. I'm like, they're really casual for just having come through this. Right. Right. You know, in fact, as a kid, as a child, I thought, oh, they must have won while Vader was inside. Um because mm. they were acting so cool about things, you know, and it's not, I guess it's just kind of the steel, you know, the calm before the storm. Like we found a safe haven here. Let's, you know, for the moment, let's enjoy it and get on out of here while we can. I don't, cause I do feel like it's leisurely, but I don't, but they're still moving and doing, I mean, transports are taking off and stuff. I don't know. I, I mean, I it's think- just, you see hobby. He's got that bottle of crown Royal. It just seems very <laughs> laid back to me. <laughs> One of them's got a drink with an umbrella in it on top. <laughs> this is stuff I never noticed until Blu-ray. 
Oh, well, I, I have to tell you that I, I um this was one of those episodes that I was really, really glad to see. I like when they the more that they bridge, you know, this series into Rogue One and into the original trilogy. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And the shot of the alliance coming together, uh, Jim, as you pointed out, a lot of those are um, ships that we see in Rogue One. And so this is probably one of the seminal moments we just witnessed uh, the canonical telling of one of the most seminal moments in the Star Wars saga. For sure. And so. also great to see uh, killer dog fights in this episode, the uh, debut of the, the TIE Defender. Now, we knew that the TIE Defender was going to be coming to Rebels uh, going way back to, I think, season one when uh, they discovered those plans, remember? Uh, mm-hmm. They discovered the plans for the TIE Defender, um, and they, they intercepted those. So we knew it was going to make its debut sooner or later, and uh, here it is. It's from old Star Wars computer games from the 90s. Um, and uh, the, the Nebula sequence, that was all cool. Now, Steve, you mentioned Dantooine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you I re- didn't. You, you did say something about Dantooine, didn't you? No, he didn't. He didn't. That was okay. next on my list. Okay, so that's well, where they are you looking at my notes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can see them all the way from here. Um, actually, you know, I, I'd like to talk about Dantooine because I, I need to, uh, you guys need to refresh my memory. When did it come up during this episode? At the at the beginning slash end, they well when they when they're safe and she says we got to know where we're going and she says to Dantooine basically, yes, and, and then that's where they end up. I have right. to. That's re-watch. that's where the meeting is taking place. So that's where, you know, uh, that was the the planet for those of you uh, listening that don't realize that was the planet that Princess Leia lied to Tarkin and Vader, saying that that's where the rebel base was. And, of course, the report comes back that they found, you know, that it was abandoned, essentially. Yeah. So, for so, some time. For, for some, some time. time. <laughs> so yeah. uh, me and Kyle were talking about this last week about how we knew. I thought it was a great tie-in. I really did. We knew the Rebels were they, – they're going to have to split from Chopper Base sooner or later. Uh, I mean, really, it's it, – this, their secret on Adelon is hanging on a thread right about <laughs> this moment. Um yeah. And, and as we'll you know see in the next episode, uh, they uh, they barely get away with keeping that secret. So I mean, it's just a matter of time, and uh, we know that they're going to end up on Yavin, but there has to be that pit stop on Dantooine, and so I, we're going to be getting it, uh, which is very solid and uh, totally necessary. And uh, yeah. I mean, that was always a big mystery mystery to me as a kid was. Um, Dantooine, they're on Dantooine. And at first I was like, oh, Tatooine. You know, they, <laughs> the rebels are on Luke's planet. He should just stay there. Yeah, it was the <laughs> other Ooine. Stay put, Luke. Little did we know. But oh, no, 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 Dantooine. Okay, that must be in the Tatooine system. It's in the Ooine system. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a planet. They're cousins. Like, yeah, Dan, Tat. You have, uh, you know, Jason Tween, Big Steve Tween. Uh, so, I'd be um, Steve Tween. But uh, so it's, it's going to be cool and, you know, very important, actually, to the overall uh, mythology that we pay that visit to Dan Tween. So I love when the blanks get filled in like this. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. And I, this episode had it in spades for, so if you're looking for an episode that really starts pulling things together well, uh, this is definitely, uh, one to watch. I think that when you look back at this series and you pull out those individual episodes that uh, are, uh, you know, not filler, which we'll get into filler here in just a minute with our double agent droid <laughs> review. Um, and by the way, Dave Filoni uh, is, is wise to it. He was said on the latest Rebels Recon that he knows he knows that's what we all refer to these episodes as. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're going to call them filler. That's what they call them. If there was a thought uh, bubble over his head when he was saying that, yeah, right. it would be a picture of <laughs> <Yeah>. Jason Swank. <laughs> was, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I just you, know, you get 22 minutes of Star Wars a week, and it's like let's make it count, right? Yes. But anyway, they can't. You know, they they. they they can't make them all like this one, or could they? Well, that's the question. Yeah. I I did there. They did do a typical cartoon moment thing um, in this, and that's the minute they go into the nebula. Uh, Hera says, "Disarm your proton torpedoes." Why? And Ezra's like, "Why?" And and she says, "Because they'll blow up. They'll, they'll everything will catch fire. They'll the, you know they've been known to cause chain reaction explosions." And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's how they're going to win the day. Yeah, total. Oh, force. well, they telegraph it. Yeah, right. Yeah, they telegraph it a little bit there. Um, but I actually thought it was. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was pretty clever. I, did they ever explain why the ties were more susceptible? Is just because they're smaller vehicles. Well, ties don't have. Them? They don't have shields. Right. Okay. Right. And, right. and the tie defender does, and that's what that's one of the things that make it that makes that ship so special is that it does have shields and right. and so one of the things that made it so formal as well as uh scaris was driving it was was flying that bad boy and if you remember he was the instructor in the wedge antilles top gun episode uh mm-hmm. a few episodes back and he had that mustache and he looked like tom scarrett <laughs> who plays jester <laughs> in top gun and so his name is scaris and i think that's on purpose i i've not seen anything I- that but i feel like it's on purpose I, i'm sure you're right i'm sure you're right all right well let's uh let's pivot here let's get into the follow-up episode to this and i guess i sort of answered my own question so long I said, everybody <laughs> when i said you know is this does this mark a moment in the series where there's no looking back and it's going to be faster more intense as we approach nope. the event well <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I mean, we do get to see uh, we do get to see Thrawn in his uh, workout gear, in his active wear. Was he in his active wear in this one? Or am I? What am I? Am I thinking of the next one? Yo, you're thinking of the Agent Kelly. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. That was yeah. They're all they're all rolling together. That was, the was a great episode. Yeah, that was a great episode. That was the week you yeah. missed, Swank. Once again, yeah, proving that nothing cool ever happens when Swank <laughs> right. is when I'm is around. Right. Yeah, because I missed well, the whole thrown in his active wear. Yeah. Can I? Can I? Can I just mention something really quick about that? I know you guys know Shaz Bazaar yeah. from the Techno yeah. Retro Dads, our buddy Shaz Bazaar. Um, Shaz Bazaar has become a quintessential part of the Goliverse in as much as he continuously will send me these parody songs of stuff I've talked about on some of the shows. Yeah. Oh, oh, is that where he's sending those now? I remember back in the day when he used to send them to us, but good to know know he's still still active creatively and uh, contributing to his favorite podcast as always. That's right. 
that's right. But I'm such a shill. I'll just play them. I love it. You know, no questions asked. Like I'll say, oh, there's an email here. Let's see what it is. It's from Shaz Bazaar. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm nowhere. I have nowhere near the preparation and professionalism of you guys. But I'd asked on the. But Shaz did a parody of the old. Is it Jim? Is it Megadeth? Run for the hills. That is Iron that is Maiden, a- sir. Iron Maiden, and he had been on a show, and we were talking about Thrawn, and I kept playing that song as we talked about Thrawn showing up on Rebels. And it got to be this bit. Well, he did a parody, Thrawn Aims to Kill. And so mm. it's it's Thrawn Aims to Kill. And it is rocking. And <laughs> I had made the comment of, uh, if, if anyone out there on you know that was listening to our show uh, could do a video of Thrawn working out to that song. <laughs> and and when and when Callus and the other dude are sitting there looking at it and the door shuts, you just still hear but you hear but <laughs> did and, wait a minute. Did did someone do this? Yes. Oh, someone took the bait. It All is, right. It is glorious. I'll have to send you a link because it is outstanding. Where can people oh. see and, where can, uh, it's on it's on the YouTube. I've I've actually posted a blog with it at geekoutonline.com. Okay. Um it, it's like the second post down on geekoutonline.com. And uh it is yeah. it's on the YouTube. It's on the YouTube. <laughs> it's good stuff. And I'm telling you, I I'll, I'll have to send you guys a link because I, I think Jason you'll get a kick out of it. Um just yeah. because the guy I mean, it, it, he did the sound where it's coming from different channels as you walk through the hall and everything. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, I do. I did appreciate the uh, that that moment when you got to see those those workout droids. Thrawn is in there sweating to the oldies. Right. Uh, all right. So let's talk about Double Agent Droid, episode nineteen. Still here, season three, original air date March eleventh, two thousand seventeen. And uh, I don't have the director or the writer credit here. It just shows that uh, we have got Nathan Cress. What is he from? He's from Big Bang Theory. Nathan Cress. Uh, he's 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 listed here as a guest star, uh, and his name is Nathan. Oh no 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 no! I'm sorry, I have him confused. I you were talking about two episodes at once. I have him confused with the actor who played um, Erskine Samaj, who was the uh, Mon Mothma's assistant right. in Secret Cargo. That was the guy from no the, Nathan, Yeah, okay, yeah, that's the guy from Big Bang Theory. Nathan Cress is from iCarly. Oh. Yes. Right, who is he? Right. Who is he from? He's Wedge. He's Wedge. Oh no, <laughs> he plays Wedge in this episode. But he's Freddie Benson in iCarly. Oh my God, Freddie is Wedge. Freddie is Wedge. Holy crap! iCarly guys, unfortunately, one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> and all the adventures of Carly and Sam, and yeah, actually, they're great inspiration to me as far as uh, internet content goes. Those those, <laughs> those gals really crank it out, you know. So, uh, <laughs> I Carly, who knew? Can't we all just see Jimmy Mack in his robe and fuzzy slippers, sitting there, yeah. binging? Right. Yeah. On- <laughs> yes, I can. Yeah. With yes, a steaming- of course, they're DVD box sets of <laughs> iCarly. I got the steaming hot cup of coffee. Irish coffee. <laughs> Watching iCarly. Oh, man. Sorry, folks. Okay, so oh, it's all right. So, so what can we say about <laughs> Double Agent Droid? Um, you know, I was, I was happy to see Wedge come back, but we actually don't see a whole lot of Wedge mm-hmm. in this episode. He kind of, he's there at the beginning and there towards the end, but, you know, he quickly 
uh, goes off on his own. He doesn't want to be anywhere near the two, uh, I don't know, um, the Bickersons, I guess we could call right. them. The, the R2-3PO comedy hour. Yeah. Um, I, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I, you know, I don't mind, for me, I don't mind that those two are sort of filling that role, right? The Laurel and Hardy, you know, um, the, the the banter back and forth. I don't mind that at all, and I don't mind that they're person. I mean, you could put any droid with Chopper, and you're going to have a conflict because Chop is off his rocker. I mean, that's just part of his charm and his and his shtick. He's kind of like I think we've mentioned before, you know, like in the A team. He's sort of like Mad Dog Murdoch. You know, he's crazy. He's nuts. You never know what he's going to do. At the end of the day, he's he's a guy you want on his team, but you know how he gets from A to B leaves a lot to be desired sometimes but um so anytime you're going to get in with another droid that is you know whose bolts are screwed on a little tighter you're going to have this conflict um i i think that where there were two moments and i'm just going to throw them out there to you guys where it fell a little flat for me the first is where we're quoting song lyrics from a very well-known broadway show tune right from any get your gun anything you can do i can do better and maybe they weren't. I mean, it, were they quoting the lyrics? It was pretty darn close. All right. Uh, did you guys well, know that be, that was from a musical? Yes. No, you yeah. can't. Yes, and, I can. And to no, be fair, can't. the lyrics are, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's be specific. Well, okay. So it's not, I'm not. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but the way they did it, Steve, come on. It wasn't like they just happened to have those lines in there. Right. Well, the wasn't it was written. And that was paid off, though, at the end, was it not? Well, I suppose, but, you know, so you've got AP5 uh, drifting out in space. Um, and, you know, I, I thought I really was going along with this idea that that was it for him, mm-hmm. that this was going to be his end and he was finding peace. I, I was, I was, I was cool with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear you thinking that this was his swan song until he started to sing and then my mind went to what the hell song was that? And I'm going through my Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, uh, database up there, which I, I don't think that it's, I couldn't find any reference. I don't think that it's any particular song, though. Stephen Stanton did confirm that the lyrics were written in the script. It wasn't like he was just riffing there uh, hmm. where the melody came from. I don't know, but it was in the script that he sang. So it's not even a takeoff of any song, you know, because I'm not up on my Broadway musicals, guys. It sounded like <laughs> the um, What a Wonderful World. Mm. No, it was not. No, it wasn't What a Wonderful World, although maybe the melody kind of it may have resembled that. I don't know. Uh, any chance have a green. <laughs> I don't Lots think so. Can, we, can exactly we hear it? it? Did you have it handy? I don't, I don't have it. Let me see if it's on the... Uh, you know, that really should have been the sound clip they used in the um, episode guide at StarWars.com, although we're, re- we're recording this before the episode guide is complete for this particular episode. Uh, maybe that will be the audio highlight that they... Taurus, guys. <laughs> Late at night. So what's... You don't even know the words? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know the words to Wonderful World. But so you, the words here is he says, I'm in a world all of my own. I do not feel alone. It is easy to see. I fit perfectly in this wonderful, beautiful sympho. No, no, no. Go away. Clank. Mm. Clank. Yeah. 
so I was okay with his moment of Zen because I thought he was gonna, he was gonna bite it, but then he started singing and I'm like, we've not heard singing in star Wars outside of the holiday special. And I know I, I don't want to sound like a stick in the mud because if you, if you think about what are the odds that the culture wouldn't have music? And there's also well, been canonical references to music in star Wars. Of course. Toodlefruits. Good ones. Yeah. Toodle fruits. Well, I'm thinking more along the lines of Max Rebo and Size sure. Noodles and the uh, Yub Nub. Yub Nub. There's yeah. They sing. They do the they do the Yub. And yeah. uh, you know, I think. But he, yes, Jim. The, the the Cantina Band job is Palace. So there is singing, but it's always been done. And even in Episode Seven, you've got the band at Maz Kanata's. So yes, there's a precedent for music, but you've never heard it in basic it's always had a very exotic <laughs> otherworldly and exotic feel <laughs> it's never been like a musical starting up like no. I, that was such a musical moment like here i am floating <laughs> in space <laughs> well yeah because even had like the dialogue building up into it and it just like switched from you know monologuing into mu- it was yeah. a musical it, theater moment it was it, like it eliza sure minnelli show <laughs> <laughs> Or Debbie Reynolds used to just suddenly, you know, she would monologue and then just start singing. That's how you do it. You know, you make that transition. You don't apologize for it. You own it. You go right into it. I appreciate the performance. Um, And Dave Filoni, he wasn't wasn't backing away from it at all. He said that, you know, he likes going to the weird. I think that was his quote. He likes (laughs) going weird on these... You guys are gonna call them filler episodes, yeah. but I thought, you know, going taking a weird turn. You know, I walked into the writers' room and I was just like, "Let's get strange." <laughs> you want to get nuts? Let's yes. get nuts. <laughs> Here's what he's gonna do. You're gonna, you're gonna sh- when you hear this. <laughs> Sorry, all right. <laughs> guys, this is gonna blow your minds. <laughs> AP5, right? He's, He's all floating and stuff. He's <laughs> like, Dave, what? Where when did you go? Land, wait, wait. When that, when that bird lands on his hand, you know what he's going to do? He's going like, to start singing to it. It's like, geez, Filoni's been acting really it. weird since lunch. <laughs> he went out for lunch, and since he's come back, it's, it's been kind of weird. Um, well, I've got news for him. If he wants to get weird, I've got, a sh- I've got the show for him. Uh, what's that? <laughs> called geek out loud come on buddy it's um, weird oh i'll get weird come on uh no but I, here's the thing here was my thing with that moment never has that droid shown any signs of musicalness and of any kind well, well dro- <laughs> yeah and all of a sudden he's he just celebrates all the classics steve come on ap5 you know he's got an extensive record collection i celebrate the entire catalog um <laughs> I'll be following and, his career with great interest. That's right. And then it just, so what's, so his thing's going to be, I don't want to join your rebellion. I have to go on stage. It's mud on my dream. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't that yeah, be a twist? Yeah. I would have rather seen him just spend eternity floating in space with the trippy birds. And I mean, like I would have been okay with it, but now it was pretty funny with him backing up right into him. You hear the clunk. I'm like, okay, that's pretty funny. I'll give it. Yeah. To yeah. I mean, you know, here he was. He finally had his 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 moment, and I think they they talk about it very well on on uh, Recon. There's not much else you can say, but you know, they uh, this is his moment where he's got what he wants. He's got an, an infinite number of things 
as in stars and planets and systems to catalog mm. with no interruptions. You know, this is his bliss. And so instead of cataloging, he chooses to start singing. Okay, so, guys, well, guys, listen yeah. to this. I just, Uh-oh. oh Uh-oh. my God, I was just getting creative and some thought here. But Star Wars is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So let's mm-hmm. put the uh, emphasis on a long time ago. Let's mm-hmm. just say AP5 did spend eternity floating through space for just millennium, you know, oh, just forever. And he's composing all this music in his head. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself in our solar system, and it's like the year is 1950, and he crashes <laughs> in George Gershwin's backyard. Are you following me here? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So Gershwin uh-huh. turns, powers up. It's just the head. It's just AP5's head. Gershwin's like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And so he turns it on, <laughs> and then AP5 is... Oklahoma, where the wind goes. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And Gershwin is just... By the way, that's Backrack, not Gershwin. Oh, but... shoot. <laughs> well, you know what? I take that back. And Gershwin in... died in 38. But uh, he crashed in, okay, Burt Backrack's backyard. There you go. Okay, I have to revise this whole thing. So it's, it is right. Burt Backrack's backyard. That's hard to say. Burt Backrack's backyard. Burt Backrack's backyard. And it was actually Burt Backrack who created BB-8. That was the mm-hmm. eighth Burt Backrack back droid. No. What? Yeah, <laughs> stop it. Bert, wait a minute. That's right. Another Irish coffee, please. <laughs> Look. Thank you. I just think in a world where we're not letting stormtroopers and, and Darth Vader do the hyperspace hoopla, do we really want a droid singing on screen? I could have done without it. But, you know, also, this is going to this is the low hanging fruit, right? I mean, this is sure. this is the thing. This is really without that moment. Guys, think about it, though. Without that moment. Was there anything really all that remarkable about this episode? A well, ship full of lobots. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, too, because, you know, that was alluded to in season one when they went when they were still on Lothal. And they found the uh, the Rodian friend of Thibaut. the Bridgers. Thebo, wasn't that his name? What was it? Thebo? Thebo, right. You saw Thebo. And that was the first time that we had, we had seen the, the implant. So this is, uh, this is uh, something that the that Empire the has employed. <laughs> this is where people can... Might have been the first time you'd seen an implant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> this show's taking a turn. I got to get control back. Yes. Yes, you do. So that, what what this allows people to do is really sort of start becoming part of the hive, you might say, the hive mind of the empire. Mm-hmm. This is a direct line that the empire has literally stuck in the heads of these people. So this officer that we see, by the way, is uh, voiced by Josh Gad. I don't even remember the name of the character. Oh, yeah? Josh Gad, who's famously known to Star Wars fans as being the guy who keeps harassing Daisy Ridley <laughs> on the set of Murder on the Orient Express, trying to shake her down for information about Episode Eight. I didn't realize that was Josh Gad. Yes. That's, that is Josh yeah. Gad, uh, a.k.a. Olaf the Snowman. The snow. yeah, yeah, Olaf the Snowman. Um, and was also one of the uh, original members of the Broadway cast of Book of Mormon. That's kind of where he... Well, he's done some. He's done a lot of TV work. I mean, he ha- he was on some uh, some pilots and some shows that 
didn't last a whole long time. I mean, uh, he's been showing up. Great, great, funny character actor. Kind of really took the world by storm with Book of Mormon and then Olaf, of course, and gone on from there. Uh, and now he's harassing Daisy Ridley. And uh, he's also in playing uh, Lemieux in the live action Beauty and the Beast. LeFou. LeFou. Not Lemieux. Is there a Lemieux? Well, there's Lumiere. There's Lumiere. I'm getting, okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm conflating the two. What all drunks do. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to take control. So anyway, outside of that, there really wasn't anything terribly remarkable about this episode. It was a lot of the chopper cam, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I there, never at one time. I think what my problem was is that. And this is kind of an issue that I'm starting to have with the show is unlike Clone Wars, this show starts to get very predictable. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Clone Wars did enough. And I don't mean weird stuff like the droid singing at the end, but Clone Wars would go right when I thought it was going left enough times that I didn't always trust my my gut. I what didn't always feel as though. It was predictable, but I knew that this was not going to result in a victory for Thrawn, for the the, the Empire. This method that this uh, officer was using to track down the you know the base. So it's because I never at one point believed that this was going to work. It felt like kind of a waste of time. Does that make sense? It does, especially on the heels of uh, secret cargo. When, yeah, and when, I watched these back to back, which yeah. I mean was not was not helpful. I mean it, it it certainly would it have been would it have been to you a more productive use of the episode had the Empire actually come away with the location absolutely of base. Yeah. yeah. I thought yep. for sure when they applied that spike that uh they were gonna hack exactly what they needed. As a matter of fact, by the time they had 50% of the files downloaded, I thought they were able to already read them and they would be able to discover where Chopper Base was. But as soon as they unplugged that spike, then uh, everything just went... uh, Apparently, whatever the Empire had downloaded was not complete enough to actually be encrypted or decrypted. So, you know, that part I thought was kind of compelling. I, I actually felt a little bit of tension in that moment because I really thought the Empire was going... Those those computer nerds in space, they're just flying around space, like downloading <laughs> stuff, listening into stuff, uh, hacking into stuff. And you'll notice Josh Gad's character, first character in Star Wars to be wearing glasses. The Hold first on. ever. Yes, the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can find J- me. Uh, Jim, yes. uh, I, I, I present to you, uh, what was the guy's name in uh, Clone Wars that was making the weird virus? Dr. Vindy. Was he wearing Dr. glasses? But no, he, he was wearing like goggles. Goggles don't count. All right. Let me see. What about, uh, who was it, Wilford Brimley in the Ewok Adventure? <laughs> well, those aren't exactly canon, so I can't really, I, I can't consider that. I can't consider Expanded Universe but, I mean, the first canon appearance of glasses. For a while, until I got to see The Phantom Menace in better definition, I believed that 
Dan Madsen's character who comes out and grabs the Eopi or whatever that creature is on Naboo at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, he grabs that, that creature. I always thought Dan was wearing his glasses in that scene because Dan is a guy who normally wears glasses. But I finally asked him about it, and he said, no, if you look closer, you'll see I'm not wearing glasses there. I thought he was yeah. wearing glasses in it because of a photo shoot that was for Star Wars Insider that featured Dan on the set, the Naboo set. And he was wearing his glasses, and he was in full wardrobe at that moment. But uh, So I always thought, oh, wow, he must be the first character in Star Wars to have glasses. But honestly, it's this, this computer nerd who runs this Imperial vessel... Filled with computer nerds. You know, some of them are like, they're playing video games while this is all going on. You know, they're they're checking, they're they're checking their space. Yeah. Jim, one of the huts, one of the huts on the hut council had a monocle. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. As a matter of fact, I just saw the hunt for zero episodes recently and I talked about it with the guys at customizing the clone wars. It's a star Wars YouTube show. And so we had a lot of Mm. fun with that. Um, what about Maz Kanata? I guess her, you don't consider what Maz wears glasses? No, they're more, they're more goggles. Even though she adjusts the focus of them and everything? Yeah, like but... Uh... Look, 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 look. If you could walk into Lens Crafters and buy Maz's goggles, I'd give that one to you. Okay. <laughs> but but what that cat is wearing is clearly you could walk line. into... Any, you know, yeah, lens crafter, any lens crafters, and you could find those glasses. They were they were way too earthy, way too earthy. And I, you know, I struggle with this as this idea of where you have, you know, clearly super advanced societies where, you know, it's traveling uh, interstellar space. You can uh, replace limbs with very convincing robotics, etc., I find it so hard to believe that glasses would be needed in a society like that. Maybe the fact that that character wore glasses is some sort of tribute to Josh Gad, who voiced the characters. He wears glasses. I don't know. I, I hate to see such real... Yeah, he does. Wo- you know, I'd hate to see such real-world elements come into play just to sort of acknowledge the fact that someone supplied the voice for a ninth-rate Rebels character. Um... Oh, and that's no knock on Josh. When I say he's nine three, I mean he just doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. No, the character. We're the not character. talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought Josh yeah, no, was fine. Is you know doing the the voice work, and I know it must have been a thrill for him because we know what a big Star Wars fan he is. Yeah, so. no, there's no yeah no, nothing nothing against that or the portrayal. I actually thought that considering that Josh is known for you know comedic characters, it was he played a pretty buttoned down, straight laced character it tells me they didn't write it for josh um or i think he might have played something a little bit different but you know he stepped in did the voice and maybe they threw the glasses on at the last minute i don't know all i know is that the it was it was it was three times too much it was with the song lyrics with the singing at the end and the earthy glasses oh you want to get earthy you want to really bring this down to earth you're forgetting the most important part wedge walks into the bathroom saddles up to a stall and unzips his fly (laughs) ap ap5 walks in and you hear the you hear the sound effect of him zipping back up (laughs) 
Now, if that's but see, not now, real I, world. that I don't really. I why don't I have a problem with that? I don't think I have a problem with that because it's like, I mean, it's it. What's the alternative? Is that the first time we've seen a quote fresher unquote in? Like, seen it in Star Wars? I know we've read about them. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. In the old computer video game Dark Forces, right. there was a secret room. And when you busted in there, there were a bunch of stormtroopers up against urinals taking leaks. And so you could go and, like, you know, push one into the thing, and he'd turn around and start shooting at what? you. Push, what? Dark wait a minute, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yes, Dark now, Forces. Now, I remember, I know the secret room in Star Wars Lego where they're in the hot tub. Ooh, <laughs> now that, that's that's my kind of room right there. But uh, that's the uh, that's the stormtroopers all in the hot tub. But that's the only instance I can recall of actually going into the bathroom in Star Wars. And what disappoints me the most is they should show us the, all the different urinals for all the different species because it has to be like a variety of different sort of devices that uh, all these aliens would use. You know, like Greedo probably poops out of his ears or something. They, there has to be. <laughs> Some sort of way to compensate for all the different physicality of, but, of species, I mean, plus varieties. But, wait, wait, but, but Wedge, is, Wedge is using an imperial uh, facility right. yeah, in a facility. True. Right. And so we know how specious the Empire is, so they're not going to make accommodations for well, different different types of... Uh, but and, Im- imagine the bathrooms at like Jabba's Palace or the Moss Eisley <laughs> Cantina. It would like have to be the size of the United Center. All these no. different sort of uh, waste receptacles for weird when physicalities. To, when you get to Jabba's Palace and, and Moss Eisley, it's just a trough in a room. It's got it. Yeah, it's, it's a I'm long trough. It's, yeah, your work. Unfortunately, or they just stand on top of that grate that sits over the uh, rancor pit. Maybe that's what they do. Unfortunately, the, the the room with the trough is known to some species as a bathroom and other species as a restaurant. Mm. <laughs> so it all works itself out. No plumbing needed. It's like a buffet. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. On that note, <laughs> no plumbing needed. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up. Our look at the last two episodes of Star Wars Rebels, Secret Cargo and Double Agent Droid. I really enjoyed Secret Cargo. I I thought that it connected so well and gave us a pivotal moment in the history of the Star Wars saga as a whole, certainly in the history of the Rebellion. And you know, the prequels kind of left us wanting a little bit in that department about how the rebellion was formed what it looked like who was involved exactly and you know that's where rebels is really really shining and making a mark is giving us that history and uh i really appreciated that double agent droid yeah we had a wedge uh cameo but there was just too much sorry dave i'm gonna use the word filler in and around it it didn't 
create any great suspense, and I didn't feel that we really learned anything other than, yes, everybody pees and poops in the Star Wars universe. So we finally saw that. But some of the real-world references were just too much, just too much packed into one. So that's where I sit on it. Steve, what do you think, looking back on these last two? In professional wrestling, whenever they have these big events like WrestleMania, you'll have your big... uh championship matches and then there'll be just some little squash match in between that lasts maybe three or four minutes that is there for comedic effect or or just you know it's not meant to be much but in the old cool days that would always be like terry funk or somebody like that right it's just it's a cool down moment for the audience and i really feel like that's what uh the double agent droids was is that it was just kind of a cool down between uh what we got with the mon mothma episode secret cargo and then what's coming next which is promises oh, yeah. to be yeah. the thing that we've all been waiting for so uh, it's just a moment to breathe and a moment to kind of chuckle and laugh i do feel like there could have been some more tension added to the rest of the story had they gotten the the information they were looking for um and and ramped up thrawn's timeline for coming after them but we know we're nearing the end of the season so all that's probably going to go down anyway uh guys thanks for having me on i would encourage people to head to geekoutonline.com to check out that video uh, that I mentioned earlier in the show. It's worth your time. It's just about two minutes. It's worth your time to watch. Thank you guys so much. I love being on the show with you guys anytime. Kyle Newman, not on this episode. <laughs> Jimmy Mack, final thoughts. Like you, Jason, I really felt like Secret Cargo did a lot to expand what we know about the birth of the Rebellion. You take that along with some of the deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith, and it really paints quite a picture. Uh, you know, top it all off with a good viewing of Rogue One, and you are set. But uh, I, I'll tell you what, man, um, Double Agent Droid, it reminded me a lot of sort of the silly nature of the uh, Clone Wars Season 3 episode, Evil Plans, that featured R2 and 3PO going into town to pick up some fruit and uh, running into Cad Bane along the way and stuff. It was kind of silly, and there was a lot of bickering between the two droids. It's the sort of dyna- dynamic that you expect from the two characters, and that is being echoed here in Star Wars Rebels with the chemistry between AP5 and Chopper. My big question is Wedge. Uh, do they make Wedge seem kind of goofy? Is that just me, or is it a reflection of his youth? I'm not really sure why they don't make Wedge appear more capable, and I wonder what the good old-fashioned cult of Wedge thinks about the uh, the Rebels' depiction of their favorite character. Cult of Wedge, of course, goes back to the 90s. It's um, sort of a term coined to describe wedge heads from back then uh, by uh, Star Wars Insider Magazine actually had that as a subtitle on one of their uh, early issues. And uh, it stuck with some friends of mine who really loved the character of Wedge. And they were very much into the Michael Stackpole books, the X-Wing novels of the time. And Wedge always seemed to be uh, very military and uh, very much in command. So this young, more goofy Wedge is kind of kind of weird sometimes for me to sort of get into um uh thank you very much for uh, your patience as we drifted into potty talk at the end of our review of double agent droid but hey uh rebels crew what do you think you're gonna take us into the bathroom with wedge of course we're gonna we're gonna have some pee pee and poo poo humor why not um <laughs> hey remember when people say kids show 
Well, sometimes we act like kids when we're talking about it, so uh, give us a break. Uh, all in all, I, I don't hate on the AP5 Wedge Chopper episode, uh, Double Agent Droid. I think it's good. It's quirky and weird. Uh, it doesn't really do much to establish the overall... Uh, uh, direction that Rebels has been going in. It doesn't, like, establish that any further. Oh, thanks for more music. I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah please do. But uh, I think that uh, it was really weird the way they took out that Imperial vessel. I thought it was powerful enough just that they were able to send that power jolt back to them and uh, fry out their gear. But I was really shocked when I saw the ship split in half and explode. <laughs> I was like, well, my God, they should do this to every Imperial ship. What are they thinking, you know? But um, I thought that was maybe a step too far. Uh, you think? Yeah, it was just... <laughs> and then another yeah, another real-world thing that kind of made me weird out for a minute was if you looked next to the chess table on board the Ghost, they have a new wicker chair sitting there that looks like something out of one of my college apartments from the late 80s. It's really weird. So that seems a little earthy to me as well. But... Um, yeah. I'm really. I, 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 let me just chime in real quick, though. I hate to do this, Jim, but you brought up the ending. I not only did it destroy the Imperial ship, but it also gave Chopper back his old memory. Right. It, I mean, it was. I mean, it was a little too, little too neat and tidy for me as well. Just. And what's up with the paint jobs for Chopper? Because when he's not undercover he just has that normal greasy grimy old look rusty but then they paint him up and make him look real nice so what do they remove the paint why don't they just paint a fresh coat on him i mean how do you how do you remove paint from paint you can't do it maybe they're decals or maybe, maybe he's when, getting one of those wrap jobs yeah you know we, like they do for the radio station vehicles there has been talk about that um I don't know why, but there has been talk about it. I mean, this is Star Wars for crying out loud. Puff a pig, not in this episode. Uh, might have helped. All right, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time. Big showdown coming. The rematch. The rematch of the rematch between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul. Can't wait to talk about that one and share it with all of you. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. <laughs> and remember, the Force will be with you always.